Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. We can't fix what's wrong if we can't talk about it. We can't move the conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. And unless we push the edges of what it means to connect, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong. Every month, I invite a fabulous big thinking guest to join me to talk about what it means to be human together. We'll have deep conversations about the big stuff, life, love, and legacy, and how you can foster connection for yourself. Let's start to reconnect the world, one conversation at a time. The information on this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Hello and welcome back to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Today I'm here with Cindy Darnell. Cindy is an internationally renowned sex and relationship therapist originally from Australia, now based in New York City. Her approach spans the clinical to the esoteric. Her academic work is published in many peer-reviewed journals, and her work in adult sex and relationship education has been published in media outlets globally. She's spearheading progressive sex and relationship seminars and workshops for adults and clinicians that deeply change people's lives. In 2015, she released the Atlas of Erotic Anatomy and Arousal, a pioneering educational video series designed to give upfront adult information about sex, the body, and most importantly, pleasure. She teaches sexuality and embodiment workshops annually at the Omega Institute in New York, and she's a longtime team member and teaching partner of Barbara Corrales' Urban Tantra Professional Training Program. She's currently working on her first book, Exploring the Fusion of the Mind, Body, and heart in enhancing and exploring libido and desire. She counsels individuals, couples, and polycules. She sees clients face-to-face in New York City and globally via video online. She produces training for professionals on sex and the human condition and offers insight into the quandaries of the erotic to transform fear into freedom. Cindy makes talking about sex so much fun. We're going to be talking about subjects like erotic self-care and developing a practice of talking about sex. Ultimately, it's my hope that listening to this conversation inspires you to come back to the body because that's where the wisdom is. Today's episode is brought to you by the Signature Heart and Soul Business Retreat. Your signature is the work that you're known for, your most important message, your unique contribution to the world. You've tried all the business blueprints and you've had it with all those business gurus. This is permission to break the rules. We'll lead you into finding your own answers because your signature is also about the way that you do business, not the way that everyone else does it. Before you can expand, you've got to cleanse and simplify and make space 
for your next vision. Let's try slowing down so that you can discover your single focus. Set aside the time to leave your routine, play, get grounded, and rest in a beautiful place. We'll help you remember who you are at your highest self. Let go of what's no longer working. Work through fears and mental blocks and listen to the wisest, most grounded parts of you. You'll also have an opportunity to mastermind with other powerful entrepreneurs. And it doesn't end when the retreat's over. After the retreat, we're offering you six months of online masterminding sessions. Come gather with a group of powerful entrepreneurs for a transformation of your business and your life. The signature retreat is led by Annie Schusler and myself, Rebecca Wong. We'll be meeting in Phoenicia, New York at Menlo Resort from April 25th to 28th, 2019. Learn more at connectfulness.com slash signature dash retreat. There's also a link in our show notes. Welcome back to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Cindy Darnell, sex and relationship therapist. Welcome, Cindy. Thanks, Rebecca. It's good to see you again. It's always good to see you. So I am going to do things a little bit differently than I've done them before. And I have this new question for you that I just want to lead into the podcast with. Mm-hmm. You know, I really believe that I'm kind of on a bit of a mission to change the world one conversation at a time with this podcast. And a lot of that for me comes down to what I'm calling a connectfulness practice. And I believe that every single one of us has the capacity to be leaders in developing some form of a practice that helps us get back to our truest selves and can help us all collectively on that same kind of path. Mm -hmm. And so if I were to ask you, if you were to lead a revolution, Mm -hmm. what would you be leading us in? My instant reflection on that question is about eliminating stigma from discussions of sex and pleasure. There is far too much stigma that derails conversations about sex and sexuality and why we do the things that we do that stops us from being able to be honest with ourselves, be honest with our partners, be honest with the people around us, the people that matter And instead, we feel like we need to kowtow to these social expectations, particularly around pleasure and eroticism that are still dirty words in 2019. And my revolution is to change that fear that we have and transform it into freedom. I have goosebumps. (laughs) I'm so glad. And transforming it into freedom. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. That's my revolution right there. And this is like a, I mean, it's beyond sexual liberation, right? Because we're talking about mm. reclaiming pleasure. Absolutely. And I think when folks talk about the sexual revolution of the 60s, which was definitely a thing, and things certainly changed in that period. It's not that it didn't. But what has happened, you know, the advent of the contraceptive pill and various kinds of other contraceptive interventions, which are all great, but the vast majority of them really do not speak to pleasure, particularly not to women's pleasure. So this is where I think part B of the sexual revolution needs to happen, that we have to give ourselves permission to recognize that sex is not something that we do solely for reproduction. In fact, it's something that we do for a lot of things except reproduction in the vast majority of cases. Of course, there are some who will not agree with that position, and that's fine. I don't need to be right. 
But what I am interested in is providing an opportunity for folks to have conversations about pleasure that actually center what their personal motivation is. Why do I have sex and why do I have sex with this person in particular? And I think, you know, sometimes, and I'm sure you would have seen this in your couple sessions, when folks have a discrepancy around sex in their relationship, around pleasure or frequency or all of the things that sex can be a problem in intimate relationships. One of the biggest things, one of the most frequently occurring things that I encounter is this insistence that, well, my motivation for sex is X, Y, Z, and yours needs to be the same as mine. Because if your motivation is not the same as my motivation, then we're not going to have a sexually compatible relationship. And I call BS on that. That is absolutely not true. You can be motivated by whatever you like. It might be love. It might be lust. It might be you know, finances, it might be because you're bored. It doesn't really matter what your motivation is, but giving yourself permission to own it and recognizing that your partner's motivation may be different to yours, but it doesn't cancel yours out and it doesn't cancel theirs out. You can still find an agreement place in the middle where you can go, well, my motivation is love. And my motivation is horniness. Fine. No problem at all. That's okay. And often when I'm working with couples who'll say, you know, but I want you to want it in the same way that I want it. My question to them is always why? What would that change? What would that tell you? What's the story that you're hanging on to that says your motivation has to be the same as mine? So this is also part of the permission granting and the freedom to feel and be what you are without feeling like you've got to corral yourself into being exactly the same as your partner. Chances are yeah, you're never going to be the same, you know? You're never going to be the same as your partner. And I love yeah. where you're going with this. And you're asking the question, why? What's the story that you're holding on to here? Exactly. Right? Because exactly. it's often I find in many areas of our life, and I don't think eroticism is any different, it's those stories that hold us back from something. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. And this is part of my training in Australia was in narrative therapy. One of my degrees is a master's level degree in narrative therapy, which is very much about storytelling and I guess for folks who are listening they might be thinking narrative like telling child stories and no actually well yes sometimes but not in the context that I use it but it's rather what we believe our problem is so my problem is that you don't want sex for the same reasons that I want them and in order for that to change you have to be on the same page as me so we believe that that's the truth if you I'm not going to be satisfied until you want what I want now, this is a story that's only going to cause pain for the person who's having it, me, and also for my potential partner because there's pressure on both sides. They have to change in order to please me, and if they don't do the work, then nothing's going to happen. And that's a really a no-win situation. This is the type of story that I hear a lot in my office where someone says they're not doing it right and the other one says I can never do it right. Yes, exactly. And so this applies in you know, love and communication context as well as sex context. And I think for the purposes of clarity for the listeners to recognize that certainly when I speak about sex, I see sex and love as quite distinct things. They're certainly complementary. They go together. I will describe it as red wine and chocolate. Can you but, distinctify it for us? Can you show us how you see them differently? Because love is about an emotional and social experience 
that doesn't necessarily have to lead to sex. So you can, you know, you love your friends, but you don't necessarily having sex with them. You can love your family members and, you know, you're probably not having sex with them. But the, so the fact that we tend to particularly associate romantic love with sex, but the truth is, and again, I'm sure you see this and folks listening experience this in long-term uh, romantic relationships, sex changes over time. So the love may be consistent in various forms, but the sex will most definitely change over time. And this is not because you have fallen out of love with your partner. It's because sex by its nature is more like water than it is like stone. I think we tend to think of sex as being this monolith and that it's always going to be like this. So, you know, I like this kind of sex and I'm always going to like it and that's how it's always been and that's how it's always going to be. And that may be true. However, over time, when you allow yourself to experience different kinds of maybe sex practices or different ideas around sex, you might find that your palate changes in the same way that you will not only want to eat the same meal all the time. If you've never had Indonesian food, you can't necessarily say with any conviction whether or not you like it or you don't like it. And then there's so many different types within that category. So being able to recognize that our sexuality is fluid, it's like water, it will change over time. The more we learn about ourselves, the more we experience ourselves, the more we understand our motivations, the more we can bring that to a relationship to enhance the love. But even if it's not about love, that sex in itself, pleasure in itself, eroticism in itself is a perfectly reasonable and valid reason for engaging with another human. It doesn't have to be about love. I'm sure there are people listening who are perhaps single and going on Tinder dates and whatever and having a very sort of rich and visceral sex life with people that they don't love. Hopefully they like them, but they don't necessarily love them. And they are still, you're still entitled to a wonderfully delicious, rich sex life, whether you are in love with somebody or somebody loves you or not. It's, it can go together. Like I was saying about the chocolate and the red wine, they complement each other beautifully, but you don't have to have them both together to be able to get the enjoyment from them. How do you help people rediscover and unlock and liberate that sense of freedom and that those places of pleasure that might be really tied up, whether we're talking about a couple that's been together for a long time and is locked in a particular way or mm. a single person who just hasn't really stepped into that part of themselves and claimed mm. that pleasure. How do you help people with that? I guess in the initial stages, there has to be some internally generated motivation. It's not something that I think folks should do because I say if you're just doing it because Cindy says, that's probably going to be an unsustainable reason. If you're just doing it because your partner says you should, that's probably going to be an unsustainable reason. So in the very initial stages, finding why you want things to change, why do you want stuff sexually to be different is probably one of the core questions that I use as a sex therapist because the answer to that question will determine your satisfaction moving forward. If you don't know why you're doing something, anything at all, it's very, very hard to stay motivated, particularly when things get a bit tricky. I often use the example of picking up a new exercise regime. If 
you wake up on a cold morning and you look outside and it's snowing or it's gray and whatever. And you think the last thing I want to do is put on my sweatpants and my shoes and head to the gym. And so you have two options at that point. You can either stay in bed and turn the alarm off and get an extra half hour of sleep, which is perfectly fine. Or you can say, no, I'm going to get up. I'm going to put my shoes on. And I'm going to go to the gym because not because I like walking around in the cold, but because I know that when I get to the gym and I'm doing my thing, I'm going to feel really, really good about it. But the point of getting from A to B maybe doesn't feel so great. But the point of getting from A to C, that's where the motivation is. And so sex and developing a new relationship with sexuality and eroticism and pleasure can be similar. There will be road bumps along the way. There just there always are. And that's part of it because it's never completely smooth sailing, no matter how much the Hollywood films like us to believe that it is. It's not. But that doesn't mean it should be awful. There's obviously signposts where you do need to stop and reorient or take a break and all of that sort of stuff. So I'm not saying sex at all costs in spite of yourself. No. But sex is an opportunity to live a more kind of visceral and colorful life if that is calling you, if there is a part of you that resonates with what I'm saying, then you are probably more likely the people I am talking to. The people who are listening and thinking, no, not for me. I'm definitely the extra half hour in bed person at all costs. That's okay. And it's really about being able to, to ask yourself that, do I, you know, what do I want from my sex life? And that if I'm genuinely okay with it being as it is, then that's absolutely fine but if you have a calling that there is a little bit more guess what there definitely is so <laughs> and that more right for mm -hmm. those who haven't really tasted it yet and might mm -hmm. be curious mm -hmm. that more it's something of a sense of aliveness it's an aliveness it's a sense of coming home of people will often describe it as that it will be a sense of familiarity that almost on a spiritual level it's like I've known this feeling before, but it's not from anything of my lived experience in this life. Right. It's a sense of a lightness and a buoyancy, I think, that probably comes from very, very early childhood before we had these stigmas and beliefs and judgments and values placed upon us when we could just lie there on the bed or in the crib or whatever and cooing and being in our total nakedness, not because it was sleazy or dirty or anything like that, but simply because it felt good and the people who saw us would smile. When was the last time you were able to lie on a bed completely naked and have somebody look at you and smile with no agenda other than to see the peace in your eyes? And not have a story in your head about what that means. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so that's that awakening. Yeah. Yeah. And so if there are big misconceptions that you feel, you know, and this is a tough one, I realize as I'm asking it, you know, societally that we're carrying mm. that are like a, a heavy weight over this work. Mm -hmm. What are those misconceptions? What are those false teachings or things that we just don't know or aren't asking about? I think the biggest one that seems to really derail people is that the body is inherently dangerous. The belief that the intellect is superior and that anything that happens below the neck is somehow inferior, that our lived experience, that our visceral knowledge is somehow secondary 
to what science says or to what scripture says or to any of these things that the body is not to be trusted because there is some other source that knows what our body needs or what we need rather better than we do and that tendency to split the mind from the body as a a form of self-preservation you know for some folks it's a matter of survival part of being accepted in a society that's quite sort of anti-sex is bowing down to these ideas that the intellect is superior logic is superior and in order to participate in that we cut off from the body so we stop checking in with our bodies what do i need and this is even true you know when it comes to things like food having a, a solely restrictive diet because we insist that our body remains at a certain weight and we wouldn't dare allow ourselves to have some kind of candy or fried whatever because you know the pleasure is just that's just not acceptable that we must maintain this regimen or that we neglect our health that you know each time we go for a walk our knee is aching or the ankle is aching but we don't go and get it checked out because oh it'll be all right it's you know you're just being a, a wimp you know you'll get over it don't worry about it these kinds of things and i understand where that comes from in our culture we are rewarded exponentially for logic you know running a business working doing the things that we do we are rewarded for how logical we are we're generally not rewarded for how sensitive we are so it's a real contrast there culturally and socially yet what works in a business context what works in a professional context doesn't work in the bedroom it just doesn't and so when we don't have those resources when we've spent our entire lives learning how to be logical and successful in a you know day-to-day -day sense and we have spent absolutely no time or very little time learning how to manage the intricacies of you know the wise body and the wise heart and then we find ourselves in an intimate relationship or in a sexual encounter or something like that and find that we have no skills no resources and everything goes upside down and then we decide oh well i'm going to swear off dating dating's not for me or sex is not for me or i'm not going to bother with relationships or you know all men are horrible and all women are you know manipulative and blah blah blah, blah. we know all these stories that people say so in a lot of those cases i mean there are social problems that exist and we'll probably talk about those soon enough but also we need to look at how we participate in keeping some of these stories alive by cutting ourselves off from our own bodies and how we participate in maintaining a system that rewards the mind over the body. Yes. You know, I find it really interesting in my work with couples, how often we're not able to just talk about our sensitivities, our feelings. Yeah. And then when we start merging in and talking more about sex in terms of how that relates to their lives, that's even harder. We yes. go even more logical. Yes. Right. And yes. so I'm curious if we could take a few steps back and maybe mm -hmm. could you walk us, the listeners through how to reconnect the body, how to get the body back online. What kind of small steps can we take in our yeah. daily lives? Well, it's, look, it's really about making a daily practice of tuning into the body. So some people do that through movement. They do it through yoga. They do it through exercise. It can, doesn't have to be anything nearly as organized. It can be turning on your favorite music and dancing around your living room for 15 minutes or even 10 minutes. 
for folks perhaps who have mobility issues, who can't move with as much ease, it can be something as simple as enjoying a bath or enjoying a shower and bringing a bit of mindfulness to it, bringing attention to the sensations of the water in your body. Also, I mean, taking it up a notch, really, masturbation is a really wonderful way to integrate erotic pleasure into your life if you're not doing it already. And this is something I often prescribe to my clients, whether they're in a relationship or not. I know some people feel that masturbation is akin to cheating if you're in a relationship. And for some people, that is their story and that is their truth. I'm not here to bust that down. But for those who are not inclined to that story, masturbation to me, I think, is one of the ultimate forms of erotic self-care because it keeps you in touch with what you like. And when you know what you like, it's much easier for you to express that to your partner instead of leaving your partner feeling like they don't know what they're doing and you both kind of end up in this funk because nobody's talking about the elephant in the room, being able to say, I like this and I like that and giving feedback about different kinds of touch is really helpful. So getting in touch with the body can be anything from, you know, allowing yourself to eat delicious food to maintaining health in whatever that means for you. It doesn't necessarily mean being a peak athlete, eating good stuff, engaging in masturbation, engaging in sex with another person, prioritizing vacations, letting your body take a rest, making sure that you sleep, allowing yourself to feel what you're feeling without it having to launch into a battle that, you know, where the inner critic or some version of that archetype gets in the way and says, oh, well, you know, this project needs to be finished and, you know, you always leave things unfinished or you always do this or you never complete your work and these kinds of stories that the inner critic tells us. It's, in the initial stages, it's about recognising that that's happening. And then moving from there into finding behaviors that are useful replacements. So when we catch ourselves in that internal dialogue, what might we do differently to put a circuit breaker into that and go, oh, gosh, I'm doing that again. I'm going to do this instead. So it is simply a matter of bringing our attention to it in the basic stages. But moving forward, the maintenance of that is where it starts to become a practice. Yeah. I love how you're talking about this practice. I jotted down some notes while you were talking and I wrote down the words erotic self-care. And I don't think I've ever combined those words necessarily before, mm-hmm. in, you know, especially in my own note-taking. Mm-hmm. And this has my curiosity really peaked because I think this is something that we don't talk about, that so many of us don't know about. And it's a place where our conversations with partners Mm -hmm. Um, And our conversations, frankly, with ourselves Mm -hmm. are really lacking because we don't know how to take care of ourselves erotically. Most of us don't even know what all of our erotic parts are. Exactly. That's exactly right. And a lot of that has to do with the stigma of talking about such things because we don't learn how to do any of that from a young age. We tend to associate eroticism with adulthood, which I guess is true in that way. I think sexuality does is something that is inherently present in children. And I know that that makes people uncomfortable. But eroticism is quite a mature concept. I don't necessarily think that children are erotic beings in the sense of the way I use the term to describe adults, but they're certainly sexual beings. And what I mean by that is they have an awareness of their bodies, they have an awareness of pleasure, they have an awareness of sex conceptually. And they certainly, especially little, little children, 
do masturbate with abandon, not for there to be any kind of outcome. They're not necessarily seeking orgasm, but they're certainly pleasure-seeking machines, children. And I think as we age, we forget that. It's a form of self-soothing from a young Absolutely. age. I mean, so there's ultrasounds, you know, yeah. showing pictures of babies' fetuses in the womb mm-hmm. masturbating. Like it, this just, exactly. it's it's way, just what way you pre-verbal. do. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. what we do. Mm-hmm. And the part of our culture, the part of our society that tries to stamp that out contributes to the emotional dis-ease that we experience in bringing eroticism into our lives as individuals and as lovers and as partners. And there is really no reason for it other than to adhere to a set of social values that we forget we have a choice in whether or not we participate in those, that we can choose to not do that. That doesn't mean that you should be throwing your sexuality around in the street, making other people uncomfortable. You know, we still live in a consent culture. Well, mostly we're trying to. That determines that, you know, sex happens on our terms, under our steam and in appropriate environments. So it's not a free for all. But when we learn to trust ourselves, then we can trust other people. But while everybody's too scared to talk about this stuff and everyone's like, no, we just can't have sex at all and just block it all out, it just leads to everybody's misery. It strikes me right now that, you know, in this culture, we're used to a form of sex education where we're talking about like abstinence. And then we start adding in things like, okay, well, maybe it's not all about abstinence, but what we really need to talk about is consent. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're still missing a few really critical pillars there. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about things like pleasure or erotic intelligence. Exactly. Or, you know, exactly. knowing what are your body parts beyond the reproductive system. Yes, exactly. And I think one of the crucial things that is missing from a lot of consent conversations is the simplification. And I think, you know, a couple of years ago, there was that tea and consent video going around. Do you remember seeing that? And a lot of people were like, yeah, this is the revolution we were looking for. And it was good. However, one of the things that one of my colleagues in England, Justin Hancock, pointed out about that tea and consent video was the fact that the assumption was everybody wants tea, that, of course, you don't have tea when you're passed out, and we know that they're using tea as the metaphor for sex, but there was no mention about the fact that there's different kinds of tea. Do you want to have milk and sugar in your tea? Do you want lemon? Do you want caffeinated tea? Do you want decaffeinated tea? Do you want herbal tea? Do you want... Black tea, white tea, green tea, like none of that. And this really is a useful metaphor for sex that that tea and consent video completely omitted was the assumption that, of course, everybody likes tea. But there was no discussion of how do you like your tea and what kind of tea do you like? Or do you want, would you prefer coffee? Would you prefer water? There was none of that. Do you like it hot or do you like it cold? Exactly. Do you like like ice cubes in your tea? Do you want a straw? Like... So I think when we get into an oversimplification of consent being yes and no, we are really, really missing the crucial element of consent, which might be, would you like to have sex with me? Yes or no? Okay, that initiates the conversation. But the real question is, what kind of sex do you like? Yeah. And that and is a how do we have that conversation if we don't even know what we like? Precisely. This is where the wheels start to come off for a lot of people because they can get down with basic consent. Do you want to have sex with me? Yes or no? I think most folks are okay with that part. It's when we start getting into the detail 
and the, you know, I like this, but not like this, and then the faster and the slower and the blah, 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 blah. And the reason I think that a lot of people struggle with that part is either they don't know for themselves, they feel icky saying it, or they don't want to offend their partner to say, you know, I like this instead of that, or I like faster or slower, or, you know, I don't, it doesn't feel great when you're using your penis. I prefer that you use a toy. And then sometimes people can be like, you don't like my penis? What do you don't like me? Oh, well, now we have to get divorced. And it's this slippery slope of stuff. That's not, all it is is actually that doesn't make me come, but that does. It's not personal. I'm telling you because I want to keep being in this thing with you. So. (laughs) And and this is where you decompartmentalize love and sex. Exactly. So not wanting a particular sex act with your partner because, I mean, and being able to share that with them, you share that with them because you care about them. Whether it's a one night stand or a 15 year marriage, still being able to have that kind of conversation that facilitates intimacy for sure. Does it facilitate love? Yeah, maybe, maybe not, but it certainly facilitates consent in a culture that's now talking about consent, consent, consent. That is the crucial element. I would like to see that level of discussion happening on mainstream television. We haven't got there yet in America. We haven't got there yet really actually in any country, but you know, that new Netflix show, Sex Education, they're having a very good go at that. I'm very impressed with that show. But this is the stuff, and this is what's happening in bedrooms all over the United States, all over Europe, all over Australia. Folks are not daring to broach the conversation that is the more detailed, textural, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, and it's not because I don't like you. But I believe, and this is where connectfulness, I think, comes back in. Mm-hmm. I think we don't know how to have those conversations. Yeah. Right. And just like those stories that we were talking about before about what we think we can do and we don't bother to ask the question and go deeper and why this is one of those types of conversations when things get awkward, when things get uncomfortable, we don't know how to have difficult conversations and stay connected in the process of it. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And it is, it's a practice. You've got to learn how to do it. And the only way to get used to talking about sex and not losing your mind is to practice talking about sex. And not losing your mind. And not losing your mind. (laughs) (laughs) Both take practice. (laughs) So Cindy, can we back up like a whole bunch? Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you got started in this work? Like what's your story? So I got into this when I was in my very early 20s. I was lucky enough to attend some back then they were called erotic awakening classes and they were run by a friend of mine who lives in New York actually called Barbara Carellas and she in the 90s spent a lot of time in Australia teaching people how to have sex basically and so I was attending these erotic awakening classes which really were a mix of tantra and something that's since now become sexological body work which is a form of erotic massage basically that is done either by a professional practitioner or you can learn how to do it just to do it to your partners. But it's a form of engaging with sex that combines body, mind and spirit in a way that how many, 25 years later that I've been in this work that I still have yet to find anything superior to that. So even though since then I've done clinical studies and 
written in academic journals and I have all of those credentials too. My influence more than anything I've learned academically is always coming back to the body, come back to the body. That's where the wisdom is. And I think my own journey in this was like everybody else. I grew up in a culture that was kind of uncomfortable about sex. I didn't have a particularly religious upbringing, so I think I have a little bit of ease around that. I was never... The shame thing from religion didn't really integrate into my life too much, so that's something I think that does give me a slightly different perspective on things. But that said, I still grew up thinking that for women to enjoy sex that they had to be in love, that you had to, that sex was something you gave to men. It wasn't something that you did for your own pleasure and that you were only deserving of that if you were slim enough and pretty enough. So I still had all of those same narratives taught to me. And then I think through doing this kind of body work over the years and then reading more about, you know, I'm getting a bit more clinical now, sort of post-structural theory about how we believe things and particularly when it comes to sex and gender that we believe that sex is this and we believe that gender is that and how useful and not useful it is and how scientists are still madly scrambling to try and find out and confirm that men are indeed from Mars and women are indeed from Venus when everything in our lived experience tells us that that's not necessarily true. We still insist on that being true and finding ways to prove it when really, you know, the truth is actually right in front of us if we bother to listen. And by listen, I mean listen to ourselves. And so many of my clients are like, well, how many times a week should we be having sex? And it's some sort of number that they've pulled out of the article on. As opposed to asking their body what they want. Exactly. Like we should be having sex 2.7 times a week. And I'm like, well, you can do that if you want to, but is that what your body wants? And so in that, you know, my journey has been very much you know, and something that I still practice now, something that I still have to tune into and what do I want and how do I negotiate that with people. And and also, to as I've got older, how that has changed things, that I'm not this, you know, spring chicken that I was and how my relationship to my own body is has changed and is changing now that I'm an older woman and I see and work with a lot of younger women and I hear their stories and I remember being in that headspace. I remember having that experience myself. And also thinking, oh, gosh, it gets so much easier, but you're not there yet. So carry on as you were, you know, and I've got to hold it, hold myself back from telling them, not, oh, God, don't worry about that. You're going to be fine. But, you know, it, the lived experience of young women is different to older women. And then I'm going to be older again, and that's going to be different again. But what is great about the information that younger women have access to now that's very pro-pleasure, pro-woman, pro-body diversity and all those fantastic things that, I think can only have a good effect. But the truth is having a positive and helpful relationship with sex is not something that you do once. It's ongoing and it changes as you change through your life. I think it's probably also just worth noting that when we develop a positive relationship with sex, mm -hmm. that ripples out. It doesn't just stop with us. It continues and touches all the people that we touch sexually or the people that we know in sexual ways. It touches even sometimes our own parents and our own yes. children. And, yes. you know, in terms of what messages we're and stories we're reinforcing in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's by giving ourselves permission to express sex and pleasure in helpful and consensual ways. We do by association, give that permission to others. 
Mm-hmm. I love this. This is really delicious. Mm-hmm. Now you have a lot of different ways that people can work with you. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have an event coming up in at Omega Institute in New York. Yes, I do. On the 31st of May, it's a weekend workshop called Reclaiming the Sensual Body. And I often run workshops for all kinds of people. This one in particular is for women, trans and non-binary people. And it's particularly aimed at folks who noticed that they had a relationship with their body where pleasure has been cut off. So it's not necessarily about healing from trauma explicitly, but it is about recognizing that for the vast majority of us, I probably go so far as to say all of us, in order to be accepted by society, part of the price of admission is that we have had to cut off from our bodies in some way, shape or form, particularly around pleasure. So this weekend workshop is an invitation to dive back into pleasure in a way that is created by ourselves in our own process, our own experience, and how we might find ways to then reintegrate sensation, pleasure, and perhaps eroticism, if that's your jam, into your life again after learning the tools that I'm going to share with the folks who attend on that weekend. May I ask you a question since you brought it up? Sure. What about the person who's experienced a lot of trauma? Would this be a good place for them to do some exploration? Not as a first port of work. What would be a good first port of work for them? Because I'm guessing that... See a trauma, you need to see a trauma specialist. I would not go near sex therapy or any kind of sexuality workshop without having done a little bit of trauma healing work first, simply because without the resources to take care of yourself in that space, anything could get activated and triggered again. And that would be very unfortunate because it could set you back a little bit after some of the work that you've done. So it's really important to have a few, you don't need a lot of resources, but just a few of understanding that your you know, what your triggers are and how it manifests. Do you get a dry throat? Do you get an increased heart rate? Do you have flashbacks? Like it is really different for each individual person. So you're really talking here about in the psychobabble, we might call this resourcing. Mm-hmm. It's how to notice what is triggering you and also how to bring yourself back to calm, how to do Absolutely. the self-care work that you Absolutely. need to do to come back yeah. to your center. And yeah. that once you have those skills in place, then something like this would be appropriate. Exactly. So attending this as a, a crisis intervention, definitely not. It's not, it'd be slightly too, it, too advanced for that. Yeah. But if you've been in individual therapy for a while with a trauma therapist Absolutely. and you have these resources yeah. built yes. in, you know how mm-hmm. to access them, that's yeah. a different story. Absolutely. That's a different story. And it's also, I mean, this is a workshop. It's an exploration. It's an opportunity to learn. So it's more educational than it is therapy. It might be therapeutic for sure. Like hopefully there'll be some sort of healing that happens, but it's not designed to be therapy. It's designed to be experiential, educational. And fun, the emphasis is on reclaiming the sensuality of the body. The emphasis is on pleasure. It's not explicit. There's no nudity. There's no touch. There's none of that. It is completely a self-contained thing facilitated by me. And you will participate to whatever degree feels appropriate for you. And there will be graded options if an activity feels a little too advanced. I'll provide options for folks at different levels. Sounds it's gonna be great and then for those that can't come work with you in person Mm -hmm. you also have some great online offerings yes I do so folks can see me if they're in New York City they can come and see me face-to-face in New York City and 
I also work with clients around the world via video, via Zoom. So sometimes people think, oh, you know, but I need to have the face-to-face experience. The good thing about this sort of section relationships work that I do is that you don't necessarily need to be in the room. You can be, but it doesn't need to be. It's just as effective on video. So I am available to people all around the world through video. Also, intensive weekends, if you're passing through New York City, you can book me for a whole day for us to work very intensively and then we can follow up with video after that. Or depending on what's happening and where things are at, I will come to you if that's something that you're interested in, that's an option also. And I have uh, video courses online on my website. Folks probably are best to sign up to my newsletter to stay informed of the new offerings that are coming through. I currently have an educational video series called The Atlas of Erotic Anatomy and Arousal, which is a just over two and a half hours, is that two hours and 45 minutes, educational video series of erotic anatomy. And then people are thinking like, what did I already know about anatomy? I know how a baby is made. And I'm like, uh-huh. you know how a baby is made. You don't know anything about erotic anatomy. And so the difference is that I teach people how their bodies work from a pleasure perspective, not a reproduction perspective. So how it is that orgasms function, how it is what happens to during an orgasm, why some folks are find them more easy than others. And there are five modules in the Atlas series covering the anatomy of the vulva, the anatomy of orgasm and female ejaculation, the anatomy of the penis, the anatomy of the butt, anal sex, and then the final module is an introduction to the basics of erotic massage, so how to pleasure somebody with your hands, basically. And that's a really useful resource for people who know very little about erotic anatomy, which is most people. And that erotic massage can also be used as self-massage, can't it? Yes, absolutely it can. It most definitely can. And it's also a good way to get a feel for me and my style for folks to feel like they're having the experience of a one-to-one session. And you just watch the videos on your computer in the privacy of your wherever you are. So this is because it's just fundamental information that I think the vast majority of people are lacking. And there's no, really no need for it, again, other than stigma. That's the only reason they don't teach this information. So we're going to do our work to bust that stigma by sharing this episode. Cindy, I know there's also a lot of other stuff that is coming in the future for you. I know you and I have been chatting a little bit about maybe doing something. We'll just mm-hmm. leave that as a big something. Yes, a big uh-huh. something. <laughs> doing something. Something, right? And you have a lot of other things brewing. So the best way for people to really learn about what you have going on is to sign up for your newsletter. Yes, you absolutely. Find that at your website, which yes. is... Which is cindydarnell.com, C-Y-N-D-I-D-A-R-N-E-L-L.com. That's just my name. And you'll see the tab at the top and actually I'll probably on all the pages to sign up to my newsletter. That's the best way to keep in touch with me and any new offerings, any new workshops. And you can also read information about this different kind of individual and couple sessions that I offer and how to book all of that information is on my website. People say to me that my website is one of the most comprehensive sex therapy websites in the world. And I reckon it is. It's very, very bulky. There's a lot of information on there. And it's a really useful resource for people to access. I find it to be 
very dense in a very good way. I get yes. lost in your website. And I also <laughs> just feel like I need to put it out there because I have been studying sex and relationship therapy for so long. Mm. And often when I'm studying sex, it's very dry. Ugh, so and dry. it's very not dry. <laughs> it's very moist it's very when I'm moist around. When you're around. Yes, it's a very interesting conversation. My tension is peaked. I'm much more invested in learning when I learn from you. And so, Oh, that's lovely. I'm really yeah. glad to hear you say that. I think, I mean, for me, it's my favorite topic in the world and I want for other people to enjoy sex as much as I do. And not just in terms of orgasms. I mean, that's great. But for me, that's probably the least interesting thing about sex. I love the places that I can go to within myself. I love the places and the experiences I can create and co-facilitate for other people. And also, I guess that sex doesn't even have to be pants off. I think a lot of people kind of lose the gist of things because I think all sex has to be pants off. And because if it's not pants off, then it's not real sex. And it's like, where did that idea come from? Who told you that sex has to be pants off? It doesn't. Sex can be anything you want it to be. And sometimes, I mean, I think about having those really rich kind of belly laughs where you're laughing so hard that you can barely breathe and the tears are running down your face. Does that not feel like an orgasm sometimes, you know, and that's completely pants on. But even still, you know, when someone is in that kind of fit of hysterics in a public place, people still get uncomfortable. It's like, don't have too much fun. You need to, you know, take it down a notch, bring it down. Don't, you know, we are just so uncomfortable as a society with, with people pleasure. experiencing pleasure, no matter what it is. Don't eat too much. Don't eat that. Don't laugh too much. Don't just, and it's just not good, Rebecca. <laughs> this is where I'm really grateful to have you as a leader of this revolution. And this exact topic, you know, bringing pleasure back to the body. This is something that I'm so glad to have this opportunity to talk to you about. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you about this. You're such a receptive audience. So <laughs> I can't wait to hear what our listeners have to say today. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't wait either. It's yeah. The feedback's always very wonderful. Yeah. The last time I had you on, I got a lot of rave reviews. So, oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, I mean, this is a subject I can talk about forever. And that's the thing, 25 years in, I'm still not bored yet. I get bored very easily, but I'm not bored with this. All right, so. <laughs> one more question for you. What's the latest thing that you've learned that has surprised you? Where is there still space for you to learn mm. 25 years in? Oh, that's a good question. What have I learned recently that I didn't know? I guess... It's funny. The latest thing I've been thinking about, I have my, keeping my back strong so I don't get fatigued during sex. <laughs> but this is as an older person. I didn't used to have to worry about that. And now because I've gained a little bit of weight, I guess, in the last couple of years and I have particularly large bosoms, which is not, I'm not advertising. It's just a fact. <laughs> and those two things combined mean that I have to pay more attention to my back in order to be able to engage in sex practices, even solo practices where I don't hurt myself because I can really throw my back out remarkably easily, which is the thing about getting older, you know, which people don't necessarily tell you that back health is good for sex. So that's my current learning is why my, keeping my back healthy is good for my sex. 
I love it. I mean, it brings a whole other layer to this idea of erotic self-care. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And how this erotic self-care is also caring for the whole of us, right? It's bringing yeah. us back into our body. And yeah. if it weren't for this erotic awareness, you might not be tuning into the needs of your back. Well, and this is also the thing because, you know, we can sort of say, oh, well, you know, I can't have sex because I've got a bad back or I can't have sex because I've got bad knees. And that may be true for some people. Absolutely. I'm not saying that it's not true. But it's also about recognizing when you're just telling yourself a story and when you can, when it is actually a biological impossibility. So in my case, I could just say, oh, well, I can't anymore because my knees and my back and my blah and my blah. But I your could, why wouldn't let you do that. Uh, no, not mine. <laughs> hell no. So, <laughs> so it's like, all right, well, in order for me to be able to maintain what I need to maintain, and also to block out that narrative about, well, you're too fat for sex now, which I don't believe is true anyway. But, you know, there may be people, particularly women, I actually, I think, and men too, listening who are like, oh, well, you know, I've got a big tummy now, or my butt's too big, or my thighs rubbed together, or, you know, this and that and this and that. Therefore, I can't have sex until I've lost 30 pounds. No, you can have sex at any size. In fact, for folks who are listening who are interested in that, my very dear friend, L. Chase, has a book called Curvy Girl Sex, which is specifically about different kinds of sex positions for people of size, men and women, even though it's called Curvy Girl Sex, it's actually Curvy Person Sex. <laughs> and it's a great resource for people whose, whose size they feel gets in the way and how to be able to have pleasurable erotic experiences that are not size dependent. So in my case, it's about taking a leaf out of her book in some cases and also making sure I take care of my back. It's working. It feels great. So it's all fun. <laughs> I really love it. Thank you for sharing yourself with us. Oh, you're very welcome. My pleasure. Once again, today's episode was brought to you by The Signature Retreat. Dive deeper into the work that you're the most known for to develop your most important message and to really refine your most important contribution in the world. It will be held from April 25th to 28th, 2019 at Menla Resort in Phoenicia, New York, hosted by myself, Rebecca Wong, and Annie Schusler. You can learn more at connectfulness.com slash signature dash retreat. There's a link in our show notes. And Cindy and I also wanted to offer you something special. Watch our Instagram feeds the week of March 25th, 2019. We're going to be hosting a special giveaway that you're not going to want to miss. You can follow me on Instagram at connectfulness. You can find Cindy on Instagram at Cindy, C-Y-N-D-I underscore Darnell, D-A-R-N-E-L. We'll have links to both of our accounts in the show notes. I also wanted to let you know a little bit more about how you can work with me. I maintain my relationship therapy practice in New York, and I also run intensive couples retreat experiences. You can learn more about both at connectfulness.com. You can also join my connectfulness community. It's a virtual community and it's totally free. That's at connectfulness.com community. And if you're a therapist in private practice, then check out the Connectfulness Collective. Come root in with us over at connectfulness.com slash collective. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. A few extra little gratitudes. I'd like to thank Christy Hausler, my behind-the-scenes amazing podcasting team, Sarah and Chris Farris at Kidney Stone Studio for the delicious soundtrack music, Blue Rabbit Studios for the cover art, and please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcasting platform. 
Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events.